we open up to Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 10. Good to see everybody here today, and to our guests, we're glad that you're here. It's time of singing that we have had to reflect upon Christ, God's goodness. Here we are in Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 10, and if you're using a pew Bible in front of you, you can turn to page 1002. Just one verse today as we continue in our series, Order in the Midst of Chaos. Verse 10, For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Let us pray. Father, thank you that this morning we come to your word once again. We ask your blessing, Lord, as your word is proclaimed. God, I pray that you penetrate hearts. God, you would do a work in hearts today. That you would bring salvation in this place today. But we know that Christ has blazed the trail for us through the cross. That's the only trail that we can follow that leads to you. We can be your children. We can be the ones that you love and that you care for, that you guide. And Lord, we ask, Lord, that today, Lord, as your word goes forth, that this would be clearly heard, clearly seen. I pray that the work of the enemy would have no avail here in this place. He has been defeated on the cross with Jesus Christ, and shedding his blood and in victory rising from the grave. Father, we fear you above all things. We trust in you above all. So, Lord, with that confession, Lord, in prayer, we ask that the enemy has no place here today to work. Lord, that the Spirit would be at work fully. God, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may have a seat. You know, we ended last week uh, looking at order in the midst of chaos, and, and towards the end of the message, we talked about the cup of wrath and how Jesus drank from that cup fully, and he left no drop for us remaining. Had he left a drop remaining for us in the cup, it would kill us completely. There's no way that we could face the wrath of God and still live, okay? And Jesus faced this wrath for us on the cross, and so he drank fully from that cup. And then today we come into verse 10. Now remember in Hebrews, what, what's happening here, what we're seeing, and people are questioning the authority of Jesus, uh, whether he is truly the King of kings and Lord of lords, because he died, okay? So because he died on a cross, people are saying, well, he's not powerful, okay? Angels are better than he is, okay? We need to return back to our former ways. Let's, let's look back to the temple. Let's look back to Old Testament sacrifices. That's the way. And the writer of Hebrews is encouraging the church to say, do not turn back. And, and we're just like these people. We, we ourselves, we like to turn back to things that we're used to, that are common to us, that we can see, that we can touch, that we can feel. Okay, that's what's happening here. So as we come to verse 10, we continue to see how we can have order in the midst of chaos. Because I think we can all agree we live in a pretty chaotic world. There are a lot of things that seem to be spiraling out of control before us even today. But we can have order in the midst of all of that, meaning we can have peace, we can have assurance, we can have joy. 
Okay? That doesn't come natural. That comes only from God, a, a gift given to us through his son, Jesus. And so we're going to see this played out today. And we must understand that in order for us to have peace and order in the midst of chaos, we must find the one that fits. Okay, And so our first point that we're looking at today is that Jesus is the perfect fit for Savior of the world. And the only reason that he is the perfect fit, because he is God in the flesh. So because God himself saw Jesus as the perfect fit. Now, if we had a problem at our house, and say we have termites, okay? We discover we have termites. Oh no, who are we going to call? I wouldn't pick up the phone and call the fire department and say, hey guys, I need you to hop in the truck, I need you to get that siren going, I need you to bring a lot of water, and I need you to come to my house, I need you to get rid of these termites. Can you do that? I mean, you're the fire department. I mean, you take care of all kinds of things. You save cats and trees, surely you can do this, right? And so they wouldn't hop in their truck, and they wouldn't drive down the street, and then come to my house and, and get out and, and do what they do, okay, to get rid of termites. No, they wouldn't do that. That would be silly. And in the same way, if my house was on fire, okay, engulfed in flames, I wouldn't call... Um, Terminex or Orkin Man, okay, whoever it may be, and say, hey, look, you need to come to the house. I need you to bring that little pump spray that you have and spray the fire out, okay? I need you to take care of business. And he'd say, no, that, that's not my job. Both of these people would say, you're crazy. Why are you asking me to do this? This does not fit my job description. We say, that's kind of silly, that comparison. But we do that in, in many ways in our lives. We try to make things fit that simply just don't. And when we look at our lives, and we see that we have failed, and that's hard for us to grasp, that we have failed. We don't like to fail. We don't like to receive papers with an F on it, okay? But that's our life. That's us standing before God. We have failed. And so the only way, the only thing that fits for us to have true life and to be brought to God is through Jesus. So Jesus fits as the Savior. Nothing else, no one else could fill this role as Savior. So Christ dying on the cross was perfect. That's good news. Like, people saw this in the first century, and they said, but he died on the cross. I mean, that's not good news. He died the death of a criminal. I mean, why would you worship him? Why would you serve him? That makes no sense. But they're saying, no, this is good news. This is actually perfect. It all fits together in the Father's plan. And you see, no one else could have taken his place. See, many people died on a cross leading up to the first century and in the first century. People didn't wear crosses around their necks, and it's okay if you have one on today, okay? Don't, don't hide it, okay? Don't hide it, okay? But it, people didn't wear crosses at that time. They were nailed to crosses. They were hung on crosses. That was a form of torture, of execution. I mean, you would put murderers on the cross, okay? You would put thieves on on the cross. You would put traitors on the cross. And just because a murderer died on the cross didn't mean that one murderer dying for another murderer would help anything. One traitor dying for another traitor wouldn't have mattered. So we can't die for each other and it matter before God. That, that doesn't fit. There was only one who could go to the cross and die like a criminal. And the only reason he was dying like a criminal is because he became one on the cross when he took our sin upon himself. He was guilty. He was absolutely guilty. And God was just to punish him in that moment as he took on our sin. 
Only Jesus could do that. None of us could have done that. Okay? As much as we would like to be brave and, and give our lives for others, it would not have mattered. Only Jesus could have gone to the cross. So no one else could fit the role of Savior. All of this was fitting that God had this planned out. In Luke 24, 26, two men are walking on the road to Emmaus, and, and this is their thought process. They're going, man, we're, we're bummed out. Uh, you know, we, we followed Jesus. We heard about uh, all the things he was going to do, and now he died on the cross, and, and now he's nowhere to, to be found. And it's, he's defeated. It's, it's done. And, and Jesus shows up on the road with them. He says, hey, what, what are you talking about? And they begin to talk, and then he stops, and, and, and towards the end of his conversation, this is what he says to them. He says, was it not necessary that the Christ should, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So fast forward a little bit into the time when the author of Hebrews is writing to the people, and they're saying, now, yeah, he died on a cross. I mean, this is finished. I mean, why would you even follow him? It was necessary. Fast forward 2,000 years later, and here we are today, and people are saying, oh, you want to follow Jesus, the one that died on the cross? Yeah, that's, that's pretty silly, right? But no, it was necessary that he died on the cross. It was not by accident. No, only God could harmonize bringing justice and mercy together the way he did at the cross. Only God could harmonize those two things. What do we mean by bringing justice and mercy together on the cross? Because God is just. We've sinned. We've failed God. And I know if you come here a lot. If, you, if you're here almost every Sunday, you say, Brian, we hear this, but I want this to sink in, church, because I'm, 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 I'm fully convinced that a lot of those who are in the local church don't believe what I'm about to say, okay? They don't believe it. They don't want to hear it. They don't, they don't want to think that they're actually bad people who deserve something worse than what they're hoping for. But here's the deal. God is just, and because we have failed him, because we have sinned, our ultimate destination should be hell. Amen? See, it's not a resounding amen, right? I mean, we, we hold our tongues on that. We go, amen? Yes, I think. But no, we should. That's where we should be. Now, your children are not going to hear this in school. Okay? They're not going to hear this in the Lowndes County school system. They're not going to hear this in the Valdosta City school system. They're not going to hear this at, at Valwood. They're not going to hear this in any private school. Okay? This isn't going to be proclaimed. Okay? Now, even in many Christian schools, kids won't hear this growing up. It's like we, we take this away and we say, no, we're, we're going to tell you you're good. God loves you. Okay? You deserve good things. But I think it's proper that even children growing up, that we teach them we have failed, and because we have failed God, God is just, and what we should receive is eternal punishment for that. You say, but I don't think my kid can understand that fully. And, and I agree with you. I think you raise them into this teaching to understand that it is only by God's grace that we can be with him. It's not that anything that we are deserving and so you may be wrestling with this thought right now. You may be thinking, Brian, I can't agree with you on that. You don't have to agree with me, but you're going to have to deal with the Word of God. Okay? And I refuse. I refuse to sit here and, and, and give you nice little packaged sermons that are nice and, and pleasant, and you walk away and say, I feel good about myself. You're not going to walk away from here today feeling good about yourself unless you trust in Christ. Because there's the only hope. If we fail to point that out, I have failed to do what I've called been called to do. So God is just. And so on the cross, Jesus dies, and God pours his wrath out on his son because of 
our sins. Our sins were paid for on the cross right then. That's justice. And then mercy comes along because he was mercy, which means that God is not going to give us what we truly deserve, which is death. That's, that's mercy, him withholding what he should unleash towards us. That's justice and mercy coming together, harmonizing together. Only God could do this. So that's why we see that it was fitting that he would give his son. Only God could have this idea. Could you, could you have thought this up? Could I have thought this up? No, this isn't popular. This isn't fun among people when we talk about this. You know, this isn't pleasant. Only God has this idea, has this plan in place. No, no other person could think this up as the method of how we could be healed of our sins and be embraced by a loving God. Only God. So it was fitting for him to have this plan. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So yes, we have wages. We have earned something, and that's death. The Bible tells us we have earned death. That's what we earn. So if you talk to anybody and you say, hey, what do you feel like you've earned lately? And they say, well, I feel like I've earned a good life. I I feel like I've I've earned good things. They say, can I show you something in in Romans 6, 23? God's word says we've earned death. Like that's what we are to be given. So it was fitting. And then for whom and by whom all things exist. Okay. God reigns supreme over all things. And you say, amen to that. I I got that. I I understand that. But this had to be a reminder. This was needed as a reminder in the first century. as a needful reminder today that God reigns supreme over all things. He was absolutely in control of putting his son on the cross. And knowing that the church, as they were to bear witness, as no more signs are are to be done, by this time they're, they're proclaiming the word, okay? And so as they speak the word, many people would doubt the word. Okay? He knew all this. He had all this in plan. He still reigns supreme. He knows that many people are going to doubt this message. You're going to go reach the 12. You're going to go tell people this year, as you are, telling people about Jesus. And some people you tell about Jesus, they're going to hear it, and they're saying, that's great, but I don't care to hear anything else. And there's nothing else in that moment that you can do to convince them that they need to follow God. He understands that. He's supreme over all of that. But we're to still continue to go and tell. And so with the people who were struggling with this thought in the first century, and they're challenging the church on this, for whom and by whom all things exist, this means God is in complete control. Revelation 4.11, Worthy are you, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So whose decision was it to put Jesus on the cross? It was God's decision. God made this choice. God made this decision. It was his, and he is supreme over all. You say, but there were sinful men. There were wicked people that nailed him to the cross. And you know what? I'm not going to pretend that if I wasn't there in that day and time, I wouldn't be the one shouting, crucify, crucify him, crucify him. That I wouldn't be the one with with the hammer in my hand nailing him to the cross. We're foolish to think that we would be any different in and of ourselves without the work of God within us that we wouldn't be in that crowd mocking him. But it was God. Although sinful man had action in this, God was supreme over all. It was God's decision to put his son on the cross. And so now we look to God for a moment, and we say, why would God do that? That Couldn't God come up with another way if he wanted to? Why would he 
have this way. And, and then we're reminded in Scripture. Because did you know that in the first century, there were Christians and non-Christians that questioned God's authority? Can you believe that? That they would cry out and say, God, how could you do this? I mean, that happened in the first century. Does that happen today? Yes, it happens today. All of us in this room, we fall underneath this umbrella. And here it is. Romans 9.20, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? I mean, who are we to look to God and say, why, why did you make me like this? Why, why am I in this position? How could, how could you do these things? Isaiah 29.16, you turn things upside down. Talking about the Israelites. It continues here in Isaiah, shall the potter be regarded as the clay that the thing made should say to its maker he did not make me or the thing formed say of him who formed it he has no understanding i mean we read that and i read that and go yeah what do you think you are clay to call upon the potter say so why did you make me this way you have no understanding i mean isn't that silly to think that nothing that something that was nothing who became something because of the creator and then look back to the creator and say well why did you do this well where were you before you know so i believe we fall under one of these two categories all of us in this room that when we question and i definitely believe this for those who would say that they don't believe in god that today if you say you're an atheist or you're agnostic you believe in some power power but you're not going to give that to god okay then you fall into this camp. He did not make me. Just as we see in Isaiah 29, 16. He did not make me. I was formed, but he did not make me. So for this person who believes that God did not make them, now they have to set out on their own journey. They have to blaze their own trail to figure out who made them. While they're here, they have to look at all the things of this earth, everything that happens, okay? And then they have to describe away God and say, no, God couldn't do this. You have to have very good evidence to say that God didn't create all of these things. But let's just look at your life. What's the point of your life? If you're here today and you believe that there is no God, I want to challenge you on this. What's the point of your life? Where are you going? We know that death is real. Yes, all of us face death. We don't like to talk about it, but it happens. And so if you die, where are you going? What's happening to all of this? So that means that the best you're ever going to have that you could ever hope for is here. It's the only thing you see. How do we know that? Because you have no evidence, nothing to hang on to what's going to be after this life if you believe that there's no God. So you're only hoping that there's going to be something good in your favor, right? And so if you're hoping that there's something good in your favor because you're saying he's not real, he didn't make me, then that's carpe diem for you. Seize the day. Live the life. You better, you better soak up everything you can now because it's, it's going to end. And if you don't believe in God and, and you're hoping for something better, you better hope you're right, but that we stand on the Word of God. And to, to deny God is to deny your Creator. Okay? It's, it's you being the clay, looking to the one who molded you and saying, you're not real. You didn't make me. And you will stand before Him one day and you will have to give an account for your life and you will be judged guilty. That's the Word of God. So then, that's the one who says he did not make me. What about the one who says he has no understanding? I mean, we church, we, we fall under this a lot of times. We, we, we wouldn't say it probably outright. We wouldn't amen this, of course, but we would say he has no understanding. It's when we question God with doubt. When we ask God 
questions and we are doubting his sovereignty. Well, if God does this, then he can't be a loving God. If God allowed this, how can he be loving? I mean, that's a good question. You know, I don't know why God would do that. But to look at God as the one who has been made from God and then look to him and say, how could you? We're never in that position. We're never in that position to challenge who God is because you wouldn't be here without God, church, right? And so to look to God and and point our fingers and say, how can you allow these things? Do you not understand how I feel? cross that he nailed his son to that he put sin upon him sin which he hates despises can't even look at he had to turn his back when he put his sin when he put our sin on jesus he had to turn his back not to look at him and we want to look to god and say do you not understand how i feel church god knows exactly how you feel in your heart He knows the pain that you deal with, the loss that you deal with. He's not distant. He's not aloof. He's not just letting this world spin on its own and he's he's checked out. No, he knows how you feel. He understands you. And he knows that you don't understand him fully. And so there are times when we look to him and say, has he no understanding in my situation? But let's read more scripture. Romans 11, 36. For from him... And through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. God actually governs the world which he has made. He's in control of it. While Jesus was here in the flesh, God in the flesh, Satan could not sift Peter like wheat without Christ's permission, as we see in Luke 22. The demons could not enter into the pigs until he gave them permission. Not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from his decree. God is the reason for all things. His glory is the end of everything. You want to look as far as you can into space, as possibly as you can, look as far as you can, what are you going to see? The glory of God. You want to go to dive down to the deepest depths of the ocean, what do you see? The glory of God. You want to study the great details and intricacies of life in the human body, what do you see? The glory of God. You want the meaning of life? It's the glory of God. You want to know why there was a death of Jesus on the cross? For the glory of God. First century. How did he die? Why did he die? For the glory of God. We're not lost, Christians. We're not wandering around with no purpose. No, we have a purpose. It's been set before us, but only through Jesus are we brought to God. Only through Jesus. As we see in bringing many sons to glory. It's our short-sighted and sin-darkened vision which makes it hard to see why God does certain things. That may be hard for you to see or hear today, but there are some things that are hard to grasp, but it should not lead us to question in any way God's sovereignty. And in here, in this context, we see in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, the cross was in question. So God had a plan in bringing us to glory through Jesus. See, I had a hard time as a kid... uh, I don't know, maybe around fourth grade. I'm really ashamed to tell you around the time frame that I struggled with this, but the difference between bought and brought. 
you know, in, in school, in English class, when you had to write papers. And a lot of times I would use bought when I should have used brought, and I used brought when I should have said bought. Um, hey, I, I bought some things for everybody today uh, to play with. No, Brian, you brought these things. And I'm thinking, what's the difference? Bought, just they are, okay? So bought and brought. But on the cross, the good news is, is that we were bought, and then we're brought to the Father. It's both. It's both and, okay? He bought us with his blood, and then we are brought before the Father. That's such good news, that he brings us to, in bringing many sons to glory. And so with this, we can rest in the midst of chaos. You can rest in this, knowing that you have been brought to God through Jesus. There is a purpose of why you're here, and although there are a lot of things going on around us, we can rest in this truth. And we can rely on Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called to His purpose. We love this verse. We like to write out this verse. We like to memorize this verse. We like to brand this verse. Because we use this and say, hey, everything's going to work out for your good. For, for your good. Like, everything's going to be good if you just love God. I mean, and you're His. Everything's fine. You don't have to worry. You shouldn't expect bad things. And if bad things happen to you, it's the old devil's fault. Man, just call out the devil and what he's doing. You know, that's not what that verse means. It's not. It doesn't mean that once you become a Christian that everything's grand and wonderful. Okay? That heaven begins right now. I mean, the the truth is your relationship with God is intact. But we're still going to go through some very difficult and trying times. And so for many so-called pastors in the world today that preach that everything's going to be good, you just give your money, right? Give your money, send in your money, okay? Read your Bible. Uh, You're going to get good things back. Good things are going to happen to you. You know why? Because God loves you. No, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For good. What is for good? For his purposes, for his glory, for those who are called to his purpose. So as you are a follower of Jesus, you can trust that all things that happen in your life are for good, are for God's glory. That as you suffer through things, as you're tempted and you look to Jesus, all these things are for his purposes. God's in control of your life. God is in control and knows that Jesus died on the cross. There was a reason for that. And the reason is so that he could blaze a trail for us. Jesus blazed the trail for us. That he should make the founder of their salvation. That word founder, archegos, okay, arche meaning beginning or rule, and ago to, to lead, okay, means it's founder. He is the founder. We see this in Hebrews 12, 2, that he is the founder and perfecter of our faith. We see in Acts 3.15, he is the author of life. We see in Acts 5.31, the same word meaning leader. He is a forerunner, the forerunner of ultimate obedience, of suffering and glory. Jesus is the forerunner. He goes before us. He leads in front. While Jesus walked here on this earth, we see in Mark 10.32 and in Luke 19.28, when Jesus is going to Jerusalem to give his life, who's in the front of the pack? Jesus. Jesus is in front. A lot of times we want to kind of trail in the back, okay? We're a little skittish about the faith, but Jesus was certain of what he was coming to do. He was in the front. 
You look back in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel. People say, we want a king. God says, I am your king. That's the story. That's the grand story right there. God says, I am your king. You're my people. I am your king. I'm leading you. And they say, no, 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 no. You don't get it. We want an earthly king. We want a fleshly king. We want a handsome king. We want somebody we can look at and say, you go fight our battles. You go get on the front line. So God says, well, I'll give you a king, but he's going to disappoint you. So God calls Saul. Saul comes forward. Saul's shy in the beginning, but then Saul gains some confidence, some boldness. They start winning a few battles, and every now and then, and all of a sudden, Saul starts feeling really good about himself and leading God's people. Until a man named Goliath comes along. And we like this story of Goliath, right? The big old giant, you know, coming forth. You see all the, the Bible stories growing up as kids. But Goliath comes and he stands before this army. And he says, somebody come fight me. Come on. Have you ever thought, where is that king that the people wanted to go fight their battles? Where was Saul? Was he in the front? No, he wasn't in the front. He was in the back in some tent hiding away. So how is God going to receive the glory in this moment? Because he is. He's going to make it all about himself for his glory. He calls a shepherd boy. He says, hey, come away from those sheep, okay? I have this king here. He's scared to death. I'm going to get you. This little 15-year-old boy, maybe, I'm, I'm going to get you. You're going to go to the front, and you're going to go in, in the name, in my name, and then you're going to sling your sling with your rock, and you're going to hit him. You're, you're going to kill him. Okay, God puts him on the front lines. David, a boy, has to go because the king is sitting in the back. The king is scared. And, and what does David do? He goes, he, he slings a smooth stone, hits Goliath, Goliath dies, chops off his head. End story, right? They always leave that chopping off the story out of the kids' books. Do you know why? I don't know. All right, anyway. All right. But... He, God, received the glory. But fast forward just a little bit longer, and here's David, King David. Now he's not just shepherd boy David. Now he's a king. And David's had a little bit of experience. And his men are off at war. Why isn't David off at war? Oh, David's been there. He's done that. Now he can just send them off, and he can sit back. I mean, he's not in some tent. He's in a palace now. And then he's going out on the balcony, and he's checking out all what's going on in the city, and he notices a lady. He says, I think I'll have that lady. She's not my wife. I mean, her husband is probably off at war. You know what? Bring her to me. Why? Because I'm king, and, and I have the authority to do this. I know God wouldn't be pleased, but come on, lady. God calls her. I mean, David brings her up to his palace, spends a little time with her. She gets pregnant. Now David panics. What is David going to do? Oh, David's going to set up and he's going to manipulate a situation so that all will be well and it will look like that this is Uriah's child and not his. But fast forward in that story and Uriah says, I can't leave my men. I'm fighting. I can't. You know, I'm supposed to be at war. You know, like you're supposed to be at war. What's the king doing? Hiding away in his palace. Now he comes up with this wicked, wicked plan which ends in Uriah's death. How does he kill Uriah? How does he kill him? He puts him on the front lines. Where's the king to fight the battles? He's in his palace. Now, fast forward several hundred years later. Here's Jesus Christ. Jesus comes and he's going up to Jerusalem. Is he in the back? No, he's in the front. Jesus is walking in the front and he's going to the cross. He knows why he came. 
If anybody had an excuse, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, let's give it to Jesus. But no, Jesus walks in the front. Because he's the originator. He's the one blazing the trail. The disciples didn't walk in front. They didn't know where they were going. Jesus knew exactly where they were going. See, the kings of the past, they failed. They didn't want to get on the front lines. Jesus went through the front lines, that being the cross. When we think about blazing a trail, I didn't know this, but I did a little bit of study, but blazing a trail, I just thought you set a fire, you know, and it wiped out everything, and then you put out the fire, and there's a trail. Blaze a trail, right? Seems to make sense. But blazing a trail means that you take a sharp object, probably an axe, and that you would go, and, 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 and this back in later times, and you would make notches in trees. So you make a notch in this tree, and then you go down a little further, and you make a notch in that tree, and then you make a notch in that tree, and you form a path. That's, that's what's known as blazing a trail. Pioneers did this, blazing a trail through the woods. Isn't it awesome that Jesus blazed the trail for us? There were a few notches that were made on a tree, that being the cross. And the reason those notches are there is because of our sin. And our sin was nailed to the cross. He blazed a trail through the cross. That's the only way to the Father. So many people say today, I want to blaze my own trail. I want to get out there and blaze my own trail, live my life. You can blaze your own trail. Yes, you can. You have freedom. You have choices to blaze your own trail. But if you don't follow the trail which Christ has set out, then every other trail leads straight to hell. And once you get there, you can't turn back. You can't. And so you have friends who say, you know, I don't want to believe in this Jesus thing. I want to blaze my own trail. They're going to blaze their own trail. Once they get there, they can't get back. It's done. Jesus blazed the trail for us. The one and only way to the Father. But see, here's the thing. You don't have to suffer the wrath of God for all of eternity, that being in hell. Because Jesus was perfect through suffering. Which means that you don't have to suffer the wrath of God. Not that you don't suffer things here in life, but we're talking about the wrath of God. Jesus paid that price for us. And we look here that he was perfect through suffering, which means the work of the Savior is complete. You say, so did Jesus, was he not perfect before, that only through the suffering did he become perfect? No, he was perfect. This word perfect means to carry to the goal to complete, effective, adequate. It was a perfect sacrifice. And he suffered for us. So that now there's a, a glory in man that was not there before. Not that man becomes his own God, but that he gives all praise to God. Jesus blazed the trail for us so that we could have order in the midst of chaos. So that we could have life eternally. And if you're here today and, and you don't, you're blazing your own trail, just know you can blaze your own trail. But when you get to the end, you're not going to like the result. And it's too late. I mean, the end of your life. You can, you can deny Jesus. 
You can make up any excuse not to follow Jesus, whatever it may be. But you get to the end of that trail, God's not going to have mercy on you. Trust in Jesus today. Will you trust in Jesus today? Will you call upon Jesus today? Did he die for you on the cross? Will you trust in what he did on the cross? That you could be saved of your sins, that you could have life in him? Colossians 2, 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. This could be your life. This could be you in Christ. Verse 14. By counseling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And by doing this, verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So, first century, they're looking and they're saying, Jesus died on the cross. That was victory. The enemy was defeated by the cross. And only Jesus could have blazed that trail. Jesus is the perfect fit for the Savior of the world. God reigns supreme over all things. Only through Jesus are we brought to God because Jesus blazed the trail for us. And that work of the Savior is complete. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time and your word. And, and Lord, we ask that Lord, as we take in what we have heard and we look at this passage, many doubted the work of Christ. Many still doubt the work of Christ. It was your plan from the very beginning. We know it's only by your grace that we can have true understanding. And God, I just ask that today your grace would abound in this place. Our trust would be fully in you. God, I pray for those who are here today that do not know you. Today they would be found in you. Today they would follow you. They would put their trust fully in you. Father, I pray for the church, that we would take great confidence in what we have heard in Christ, and that we would follow what he has set before us, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel, that we would live with order in the midst of chaos, Father, as we continue to study through Hebrews, we ask your blessings. Lord, I ask that we continue to worship you in this time. As, as your heads are bowed right now, I just, uh, just want to say, if you're lost in your sins, if, if you don't follow Jesus, you, you know that you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you want to follow Jesus, call upon him. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I'll follow the trail that you have set before me. You will be the king of your life, the Lord of your life. Jesus, I acknowledge that you died for all of my sins. Thank you. Put your trust in Jesus today. If you're putting your trust in Jesus today, you want to follow Jesus today, um, myself and other pastors, we're going to be standing in the back, counselors. We'll have a couple here up front too. That you would come and talk to us and say, today I, I follow Jesus. No shame.
I put my full trust and faith in Jesus. Church, pray for these that are lost. They will be found in Christ. Church, I encourage you to continue in this time in worship what we have heard. Father, we thank you. We continue to worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand together.